The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells and with me today, as always, is New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. We've got a great show for you today. First, we're going to remind you about our Sex Lives voicemail box. We end our shows with your responses to questions. We ask about topics from previous weeks. And this week, you will hear about yet another crazy sex dream from one of our listeners. I guess she was rubbing up against me or something when I was sleeping. And it caused me to have the most disturbing sex dream I have ever had in my entire life. That's coming up later on. But first, on today's show, we're going to be talking about the orgasm. Who comes first and why? How important or unimportant it is in a hookup or a relationship? And in particular, how have feminist philosophies about orgasm shifted over time? Joining us to talk about it is Dr. Ian Kerner, a sexuality counselor who also wrote the book She Comes First, The Thinking Man's Guide to Pleasuring a Woman. Ian, welcome to the show. Hi there. Also joining us is Vanessa Marin, who's also a sex therapist and recently published a piece on Deadspin called Her Orgasm is Not About You. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks. Uh, before we get to you guys and questions for you, um, Maureen, maybe it would be best for you to talk a little bit about why you think we're at a sort of like turning point in our um, attitudes towards the female orgasm and why you wanted to talk to these two particular people. Yeah. So one sort of funny thing that perhaps Ian will find amusing is that I was talking to some friends maybe a little bit ago, and this one woman said to me, do you ever notice there's a certain kind of guy who will have a strategic copy of She Comes First somewhere in his home as a sort of way of being like, hey, baby, look what I'm going to do. And another friend said, well, I think he's bragging. And a third person says, well, isn't that just some sort of version of like the modern straight machismo? And it was really interesting because I started thinking about what the female orgasm means to men who have sex with women in terms of the way they understand their own sort of either their masculinity, their sense of accomplishment. It seemed very different than sort of older dilemmas of should a woman even orgasm? It seems like there's sort of this premium on a man being able to please a woman. So then when I saw Vanessa's article, Her Orgasm is Not About You, which she wrote on um, Deadspin, the sports website geared towards men, um, that seemed to really sort of encapsulate perhaps how the world has changed in the 12 years since Ian first wrote that book, She Comes First. So yeah, I guess I just wanted to talk to both Vanessa about the sort of anxieties around female orgasm that you've noticed, and Ian sort of looking back at, you know, the years since you first published that book, how it came to be, and if you think the world has changed. Well, I wrote the book from sort of two parts of myself. The first part of myself that I wrote the book from was my uh, teenage and young adult self, who was really... um, Uh, struggled with sexual dysfunction and premature ejaculation and feeling that I didn't have control over my penis and that I didn't know how to pleasure a woman. And I really internalized all of this um, uh, shame and sort of sense of defectiveness. And that actually led me uh, into sex therapy with a number of uh, different girlfriends at the time. And uh, finally, um, I kind of started to learn about female sexuality and and realized uh, that actually all of the sensitive nerve endings that contribute to the female orgasm are located on the surface of the vulva. And I actually, I guess in in short, became clitorate. And uh, that eventually led me to become a sex therapist. And uh, I really just uh, wrote the book out of, uh, you know, sheer exuberance and a desire to be an evangelist of sexual clitoracy. 
And tell us a little bit about that evangelism. Like, how have the last 12 years been for you, like going around and, you know, with this book attached to your name, but also um, speaking to men who are reading it and, um, you know, all the events that you do? I'm sure it's a pretty interesting cross-section of the American male. Yeah, I mean, it's been a it's been a, a pretty phenomenal um, experience, and uh, I owe much of my work to uh, many of the feminist and female sexual researchers and sexologists who, uh, you know, came before me. But uh, I guess I'd like to say that the clitoris has really come into the mainstream, and I, I know that may sound uh, even uh, odd or a little bit uh, anachronistic, but when I really wrote the book. Back in 2002 and had it published in 2004, I feel like we were really stuck in what I call the intercourse discourse of just intercourse being the primary way of uh, experiencing any kind of sexual pleasure. And uh, I feel like my book, along with a lot of other voices, uh, really championed the idea of uh, outer course and taking many paths to pleasure. And for men, really liberating them from the pressure of having to solely pleasure through their penises. So knowing that they can make love with their hands and their mouths and that they can create sexual events that, you know, don't always end in intercourse um, and, you know, create varied sex menus, I think has been really liberating. So I think to kind of put the clitoris uh, much more at the center of the conversation has really in the main thing that I've seen over the last decade and more. And what would you point to to show that change, aside from your conversations with your patients in your own practice? Like how how can we see the arrival of the clitoris in the in the center of the sexual conversation? Well, I, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind is just um, you know the the renaissance in sex toys that we're seeing from uh, right. all different brands, and uh, I feel like the design aspirations of say Apple and Mac are being brought to the design of sex toys. So I just think there's there's this wonderful flourishing of all sorts of uh, sex toys that are really designed to produce clitoral stimulation, and uh, it's really common for women and couples to be much more comfortable with sex toys. I mean, it's really fascinating. And when I think about it, I mean, there's no way that I would say that there could ever be a reason why it's bad for people to talk about how their partners are orgasming. Yet I also can't help but notice that when you sort of explain the genesis of your book, it initially comes from that feeling of sort of a male inadequacy being either your male inadequacy or a man who sort of picks up this book in an attempt to sort of have himself not feel inadequate with a woman, which I think puts it in a sort of interesting conversation with Vanessa's article. Um, And Vanessa, what you've sort of noticed that you pointed out that in the last, say, year or so, that you've seen more women who feel that they're pressured to orgasm more, or more men who think that they can't be done until a woman orgasms. Yeah, so I uh, I have an online orgasm course for women, and I also do a lot of one-on-one coaching with women around how to orgasm. So I kind of came about this at a different angle, and I noticed, you know, really just over the last couple of years, with more and more frequency, I was hearing about their male partners for heterosexual women 
you know, talking about how difficult it was to not be able to orgasm with their partner. And very slowly, this conversation started turning into, uh, you know, my boyfriend gets really upset with me if he can't make me orgasm. Or, you know, my boyfriend will even get mad or he'll jump out of bed, you know, in a huff. And so I realized, you know, at first it was sweet. Oh, it's great that their, you know, partners are, you know, really caring and they're really invested that we're even talking about female orgasm in the first place. But it really started to take on this tone of men getting upset and really, you know, it started to become that, uh, that female orgasm was just a way to, you know, give yourself a gold star to, um, you know, feel really masculine and, you know, that you've done a great job. The anger part of it seems the worst to me. It's like if you're whatever, a little saddened or something that (laughs) I guess that makes, that makes sense. And I could be sympathetic about that, but getting angry at somebody seems. Well, to me, it's such a like depressing sign of that, no matter how much progress we make. And we have made like amazing progress, which is to the credit of, I mean, both of you like pushing this conversation forward and yet it's so amazing to me that no matter where we place the benchmark there will be ways for couples to sort of pervert it into an unfair expectation for a woman why does that happen every single time that even if we're saying the whole point is the woman's pleasure it will somehow get turned into a woman feeling insecure about something or a dude being pissed about her i mean is that just about the way we talk about these issues do you think that I'm just hearing too much of women feeling insecure and the men feel equally insecure? Or do you think that there is something about people sort of twisting this dynamic? Uh, yeah, that's a really complicated question. I mean, I think we're all big bundles of nerves when it comes to sex. You know, and we all want to know that we're doing a good job. We all want to feel like we're good in bed. You know, there are a lot of different dynamics that go on. I think that women, you know, we're naturally socialized to be caretakers and to really care about our partner's feelings. So, you know, I've even had women who would tell me, uh, I don't even care about the orgasm for myself. I just want my partner to be able to experience it. And so that, that was really one of the points where I thought, oh, my God, this is getting really out of control here. Uh, So that's why I wanted to kind of start talking about it on a more direct level. And what has the response been? Pretty intense. I mean, there are a ton of comments on that Deadspin piece. One of the most interesting comments for me was there were a bunch of men that were saying, you know, I just, I feel really confused. You know, I, I want to pay attention to my partner's orgasm. I thought I was being a really good partner where is this line, you know, where it gets crossed between, you know, just being sensitive and caring and wanting to help her orgasm versus, you know, crossing that line into pressuring her or turning this into my ego. So those were the kind of the most interesting comments to me. Ian, what, what do you think about that? Where, where is the line? Or do you, do you agree that there can, the line can get pushed around to unhealthy places? Um, yeah, I think, you know, I'm also thinking um, a lot of the men I work with who, feel a pressure to be able to maintain a certain kind of erection uh, through sex and, you know, and then they have some initial erectile impairment and then a a feedback loop gets sort of uh, constructed and, you know, that gets reinforced and, um, you know, suddenly you're really uh, in sort of a downward nervous spiral. So I I just wish that we could just talk more during sex and, and really communicate and, uh, talk about whether or not we feel relaxed in the moment or if a certain sex act or a certain experience is causing us to feel anxiety, to be able to, you know, talk about what sort of environment we need to have in order to feel sexual, in order to sort of be able to mentally disconnect a little bit and relax inside our bodies. And I just, it it sounds really fundamental, but I think the thing that is just so often lacking is just a kind of loving form of constructive communication between sex partners. 
How important is orgasm during sex, do you guys think? Because, I mean, as I read this, I sort of think about it, and I know that people do have totally satisfying sexual encounters with no orgasms. Um, it's still hard for me to say that, like, sex without an orgasm could be better than sex with an orgasm, right? Yeah, I mean, I you mean, know, I, nobody's denying that orgasms feel amazing. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're great. They're fun. Um, but I think the, you know, the idea is when we have all of this pressure and expectation around it, all of this anxiety built up where we're just, you know, completely lost in the moment, we're not even experiencing, you know, being there with our partners or even being stimulated, you know, on the way to orgasm when it's just that soul focus, you know, it, it really does lose um, all the fun. So I think being able to take things back to an emphasis on just pleasure and connection, mm-hmm. enjoying each moment. And, you know, the path to an orgasm is pleasure. It's not like orgasm just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> um, so I think we need to remember that. Vanessa, how do you think it happened that this sort of empowering cultural phenomenon for women, this sort of new focus on female pleasure became a way for men to you know, declare their own sexual power and sort of took us away from an actual real focus on on female orgasms. It's definitely not, you know, for all men. I think yeah. that the you know majority of men out there are really caring and generous and giving partners. And again, I think, you know, I really do think that all of us are just big balls of anxiety when it comes to sex, you know, and so and it's it's hard to know what to do, you know, to please our partners. And we're all just so eager to please. Um, but I do think that, you know, for a certain subset of men, it, it has come to be seen as a, kind of a, a display of masculinity or, you know, there's a kind of bravado that comes up around it. I, you know, I made her orgasm. It actually um, got tied in a lot with squirting. Um, I yeah. saw a really interesting pattern with squirting where it used to be that I was getting all these emails from women who would write in and tell me, you know, I squirt when I orgasm and it's horribly embarrassing. I hate it. What can I do to stop it? And I saw the same kind of, you know, trend happening where all of a sudden, you know, squirting starts getting covered more in the media and you're seeing more stories about it. And all of a sudden, all the emails are changing into, you know, how do I squirt? I want to learn how to. Um, And I got a ton of emails from men saying, you know, how do I make my woman squirt? I need to learn how to do this. And it became seen as, you know, again, this way of getting this gold star. Okay, you made her squirt. You get the gold star. Um, And I think, obviously, there is something tangible about orgasm and uh, there's something very tangible about squirting too, you know, where you can see it's a display of, Oh, you did something, you achieved mm-hmm. something. Um, so I think that, you know, some of those dynamics caused it to, to really just end up putting a lot more pressure and emphasis on it, uh, than needs to be there. So I think the idea is, you know, it's fantastic that we're thinking about female orgasm. Uh, I love Ian's book. It's one of uh, my favorite books to recommend to clients. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, yeah, again, when it crosses that line into it's not about, you know, your partner genuinely caring or really taking that time to get to know your body or to focus just on you and, you know, learn what you like. But it kind of crosses this line into I don't really care about making you orgasm for giving you pleasure. I just want to know that I did a good job. Vanessa, do you think that the men who are focused on sort of a woman's orgasm being some sort of personal trophy, uh, which I agree is just uh, sexual narcissism and sexual arrogance. Do you think those men um, have an understanding of how female sexuality really works? Do you think those are the guys that read She Comes First? 
confused and are sexually clitorate and have kind of a viva la vulva attitude? Or are they um, just sort of part of the intercourse discourse and misinformed and thinking, you know, the bigger the penis and the longer they can go at it, the more she's going to have an orgasm? I think it tends to be much more of the latter, um, definitely men who are uh, ill clitorate. But I think, you know, there are definitely degrees of this as well. I think there are men who are, you know, they are learning more about how female sexuality works. They are taking that time and maybe they're not being, you know, these over the top assholes about it, but they're still creating a sense of pressure, the sense of, oh, okay, are, are you there yet? Are you getting close? When's it going to happen? Or, you know, if it doesn't happen, getting out of bed and kind of storming off in a bit of a huff. Um, so it's not, you know, not quite as intense or overly aggressive, um, but there's still, you know, there's still some element of it there. You know, one thing that struck me as I was going, so then I was looking back over um, She Comes First as I was sort of getting ready for this, and it struck me that I think a lot of the miscommunication is that as I was reading, because um, Ian's book has very detailed, I mean, down to sort of the names of specific moves and orientations of where you put your lip, where you put your tongue, the angles everything. And it occurred to me that I don't necessarily know exactly what someone's doing when they're getting me off unless I literally say, wait, what are you doing right now? Because like, <laughs> I can't see what's happening. I know when it feels good. And I know like if I get to a new partner, I know, well, partner X did this thing. I really, I don't really know exactly what But you don't think you'd doing. be able to teach it or whatever. No. Yeah. And it did occur to me that there is a little bit of the sort of the ability to verbalize what you like during sex is a little bit limited sometimes by how much you know exactly of what's happening, which you sort of don't always. Yeah, and I think, you know, you add to that that, you know, we do live in a culture where, you know, couples really feel, um, you know, wonderfully affirmed to watch porn together and to buy sex toys together and to go to sex parties and sex clubs. I mean, there's so much... Uh, out there today for couples to really expand their sexual horizons and and explore together. But, you know, with that also comes a kind of a, a pressure to um, to be novel and, and a pressure to be, you know, looking for something new. And when you do think about orgasms, you know, and you think about sex, they really do require uh, relaxation. Um, studies have shown that for women, um, as, as women get more aroused and get closer to orgasm, that parts of the female brain that are associated with um, stress and, and anxiety, those parts of the brain literally start to deactivate. And uh, women and, and men, I think, to a large extent, go into a kind of a trance-like state. And I think we do need to create these sexual spaces for ourselves where we're not always worried on just like thinking about what are we going to do that's, you know, totally exciting and totally new, but rather how can we get into a more mindful zone of relaxation and mental deactivation where we are communicating on much more uh, intuitive, unconscious levels and through our bodies and not just through our uh, prefrontal cortexes where we're just thinking about what we're doing, you know, where we're not thinking about what we're doing. Which brings us a little bit to the article you guys wrote together, How to Become a <laughs> Cunnilingus Master. Um, and, you know, Maureen, I know you feel like this is another way in which there's been a sort of sea change in sexual attitudes over the last decade or two around cunnilingus, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, a man is now considered a pussy if he won't lick so to speak. pussy to yeah. end up. I just talked myself right into that one. But um, yeah, that I think that's almost more emasculating if a man is afraid of vagina yeah. or can't do that. I definitely take it as a sign that he's like sexually inexperienced or uncomfortable with his own yeah. desire or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you'd be surprised, though. I still get so many clients and so many mm-hmm. emails uh, talking about, you know, men who are uh, who are afraid of it or don't want to do it. I actually just got an email the other day with a woman who said her boyfriend told her he was repulsed by the idea of it. Was he 16? So, I, I don't know if making, we're just in a weird bubble or what. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're making big strides, but yeah. there's still a long way to go, unfortunately. Yeah. I am always so encouraged. I'd say about once every month or two, I get a really thoughtful email from a mom who has given my book to her college-aged son um, because she wants her son to uh, really understand, uh, have a better understanding of female sexuality and uh, how to pleasure a woman. So, um, you know, I... I was just going to say an enlightened mom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, do you recommend that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, look, so many young guys are just getting so much of their ideas about sex from porn or still what they hear from friends or just what they're picking up off of uh, TV and, and, and in the movies. And I think we, you know, um, in, in, in Denmark, I know that there are, you know, sex education now being offered where, you know, uh, teachers will actually show porn to students and deconstruct porn sex versus real sex and really have thoughtful dialogues. But we don't have anything like that in this country. And so, you know, um, I have a 12 year old son. I don't think he's ready to read She Comes First, but uh, I welcome the day he'll pick it off the shelf and, and start to read it and, uh, and you know, and hopefully have a you know, uh, a more successful uh, start to a more successful sexual history than the one that I had, which was completely clueless and illiterate. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of what's out there for men, um, it tends to be more geared around how to get her to have sex with you uh, (laughs) rather than how to actually help her have a good time when she's having sex with you. Uh, You know, even silly articles on, uh, you know, you'll see things like, oh, just do the dishes for her and, you know, take the kids out to the park and she'll want to have sex with you. Um, So I think for women, you definitely see, you know, much more detailed about sex technique, you know, how to give him a great blowjob and how to seduce him and different, you know, things to try and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, with men, there doesn't seem to be as much of a focus on technique. So I definitely think that there's, uh, there's a need to get more into that for men. Do you guys know, just as, this is a question out of curiosity, but when that became such a staple of women's magazines, like the explicit sex technique advice, like what era that's from? I mean, I have really old Cosmos just dating back decades where, you know, they've got some of the sex tips in there. Uh, they're kind of funny. It's like cult, the same sex tips. So I think it's just always been a part of uh, yeah. part of the women's magazine. That's a good question, David. I feel like we should look into that. There must be some moment when they switch from like how to bake a chicken for him to how to suck his cock, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm really curious yeah. when that occurred. Yeah. I, and, you know, when I wrote She Comes First, uh, I remember clearly um, – um, you know, working with the editors of Cosmo and, um, you know, still the most popular sex question was, what can I do to have an orgasm during intercourse? Today, I bet you the, the question would be much more like, uh, 
what can I do to get my guy interested in sex? I mean, if I'm working off of my practice and what I'm seeing in 20-year-olds and 30-somethings, uh, it has much more to do with discrepant desire and sex ruts and uh, mm -hmm. men with low desire. Yeah, you know, I def my population is definitely um, a, just a ton of women who are, uh, you know, wanting to learn how to orgasm. And like I mentioned before, I have an online orgasm course for women as well. So I talk to a lot of women about orgasm. And um, I think there are a lot more women who are now understanding that um, orgasm during intercourse isn't as common, um, but there's still a huge percentage of women that really expect that that's how they're supposed to orgasm. And even if they do know, okay, not all women orgasm from intercourse, I still get lots of women saying, but I really want to be one of those women who can orgasm from intercourse. Well, what's, you know, what's the secret technique? What do I do? Isn't the secret to use your own hand while you're fucking? I don't understand why more people don't just say this. <laughs> it is the secret, absolutely. But there are so many women. I mean, you know, it's it's really shocking sometimes. There's so many women who feel like, you know, they're who don't want to do that for a lot of different reasons. Some women are just, you know, really shy. Some women are really embarrassed about their own bodies and don't even want to touch their own genitals. A lot of women are concerned that, oh, if I do that, my partner will think he's not doing a good job. You know, he's not pleasing me, so I have to do something extra. Um, or, you know, I've even had women who have tried that and their partners have said, you know, why are you doing that? I should, you know, this should be enough for you. So there are a lot of different reasons, but um, it's, it's quite shocking how few women are willing to just reach down or to ask their partner to reach over or grab mm -hmm. a sex toy. I work with a lot of women who, you know, they'll tell me, I, you know, I'm a really progressive woman. I'm a feminist. I'm very liberal. I'm very educated. And I still don't know how to orgasm. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of shame that comes up. They feel like this is, you know, this is something that someone who's uneducated or very conservative or has a really strict religious background, you know, they feel like those are the only types of women that are supposed to struggle with this. So I, I work with a lot of women yeah. who really you know, don't fit into that those categories. And there's such a huge amount of shame that comes up around it. Yeah, I have a funny little anecdote to add to that, Vanessa. I was working with a, a couple not too long ago, and uh, we were talking about sort of um, orgasms and clitoral orgasms versus vaginal orgasms. And I mentioned, you know, that there is just a uh, vaginoclitoral distance, the distance between uh, the clitoral glands, the head of the clitoris, and the vaginal entrance. And depending upon that distance, it can really affect the extent to which many intercourse positions are able to um, persistently stimulate the clitoris. And the closer the clitoris is to the vaginal entrance, the more likely it is. And the more distance, the less likely. And this couple on their own, um, he went and he got a tape measure. And he literally said, I want to measure this distance. And, and I thought it was so, it was so awkward and funny, but they actually said it was kind of hot in the end. And he was <laughs> like, yeah. And I really get it now. And I see that there is like, there was maybe two or three centimeters more distance. And I really do want to focus on the right sex position. And maybe it's really her on top. And I understand why that position is so important. So, I mean, I just love that, you know, whether it's, Couples leaving my session to go pull out a tape measure and measure the vaginoclitoral <laughs> distance together or using Vanessa's um, uh, online course. I think it's cool. Yeah, anytime you get people using a tape measure in sex, you know it's progress, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True honesty. <laughs> well, thank, yeah. thanks so much for, for coming on, guys. It's been great to talk. 
Thank you. Thank you. be grossed out though by the idea of somebody like strategically leaving a copy of a sex book to be found which i really realized i'm like damning myself because i have like 800 sex books in my home clearly my brother well, that has like a long is like what the hell marine <laughs> this is really embarrassing can you put these away that has like a long history right because it's like it used to be that people said that about fear of flying all the time that like a, when a woman had fear of flying that it meant she was like down to fuck and i'm sure like the joy of sex before that was even oh, yeah. like um a way you signaled something to anybody who came over. That is so funny that you could catalog the like the strategic through books, the years. or objects, I suppose. Yeah, but books is somehow more interesting. Yeah. it's like it's like seeing like coming across like a porno is not like all that interesting. No, you're right because it's um, <laughs> it's also that the book says we can talk about this. Right. As opposed to like I find like a gallon of lube. What I'm going to say. <laughs> I did. I did recently. Like I was like I went over to like check out a friend's new apartment and like there was a conspicuous like bottle of lube on her on her bedside table and I was like oh this is this is something. She was like she was like what are you trying to say? Our guests have been Vanessa Marin and Dr. Ian Kerner. Now on to voicemails. For the last few weeks, you've been hearing about many of our listeners' amazing sex dreams, all of which came from our recent episode with Dr. Kelly Balkley, who has got an incredible database of dreams, not all of which are about sex, but all of the most interesting ones are. Um, this week, we got another one, which is actually very closely related to our episode from last week with Alana Massey, where we talked about negotiating pets and sex. Hey, guys. I know that I'm a little, I'm an episode behind, um, but I decided to call in about the the sex dreams topic um, and definitely glad that this is anonymous. I was having a very good sex dream not that long ago and I have a cat and she doesn't understand personal space and uh, I guess she was rubbing up against me or something when I was sleeping and it caused me to have the most disturbing sex dream I have ever had in my entire life. Oh, God, I woke up feeling so disgusted. And, yeah, it it involved my cat. It was it was repulsive. And I told my boyfriend, which was a mistake, because he just thought it was the most hilarious thing and would not let it go. Uh, yeah, it was, it was really repulsive because um, in the dream it was, oh, I, oh, God, I woke up. Oh, God, it was, it was bad. It's funny. She seemed so disgusted with herself. She couldn't even like detail what actually happened at the dream. I know. I want to know what kind of sex she had with the yeah. cat in the dream. Did she come first? <laughs> Sorry. <It's>, um, <laughs> but remember, it's not your fault. I feel like this is the moment this where the cat is very important to you. Is what we learned from Doctor. Yes. The biggest thing after that episode was the number of people that like I realized that all everybody wants to hear when they have a weird dream is it's not your fault and it's not. <laughs> your damn cat's fault don't let it sleep in your bed anymore no i'm sorry <laughs> this a sex fantasy with a cat is like the whole subject of this um this play by wallace sean do you know him the, no he's like this inc- incredibly brilliant playwright he was um his dad was actually the guy william sean the guy who made the new yorker really what it was oh. um and he wrote he's written the plays like the what's like what are they there's uh aunt dan and lemon and the designated mourner is probably the best one but he did one called uh Grasses of a Thousand Colors or Grasses with a Thousand Colors a couple years ago, which um, basically is set in like a English fairy tale, folk tale with like animals as creatures. And it's like about one man's like sexual obsession with his cat's 
t- I think his cat's tiny asshole, but maybe his oh cat's tiny vagina. Wow. <laughs> Does he have sex with a cat? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's oh. like they have like a long, I think a long relationship, I think. On that note. Uh, <laughs> wow. And there is literary basis for your dream too. <laughs> Caller. So that's it for Sex Lives this week. A reminder that you can always reach us at 646-494-3590. This week, we would particularly love to hear from women about how they talk about orgasms with their partners and what's worked best for them, any breakthroughs they've had, things their partners have done or told them that have shocked or disappointed you. And whatever significant sexual messages you see from somebody's bookcase. (laughs) I always feel like if you see, like, Ayn Rand on a bookcase, it means, like, you're absolutely never having an orgasm. (laughs) But you probably shouldn't be like on a date with that person. I know, anyway. but you're like rational self-interest suggests like you're never going to give one <laughs> to the other person. Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next week, and thanks for listening. <laughs>